Let's get to our message today. It's a big one. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. The Word of God reads, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Father, we pray, God, that you will just speak to us today. God, that you would wake, awaken hearts that are in spiritual slumber. God, that you will move those who may be going in the wrong direction. And Father, move them to go towards you today. Lord, we pray, God, that you would, in this church, save those, save all of us, so that we might all be in heaven with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, today might be one of the toughest messages I ever preach. Because in verse 22 in our passage today, Jesus says, many people are going to go up there to the pearly gates and go in right in front of Jesus expecting to get in. But Jesus is going to turn them away. It says many. And these are people who believe that they're going to get into heaven. So many are going to be turned away. Which means this, if the percentages prove right, that there are some people in this room, some of us sitting right here in these pews, that are, think that they're going to heaven because they believe in all these things. But once we get up to heaven, you're going to realize that you don't get in and you might get turned away. And that, to me, as your pastor, is the scariest thought. Okay, so today is a serious message. Today is a tough one. I tried to put a lot of investment into this one, and I just ask that you listen carefully. And I ask that you open up your heart to the Spirit, and I ask that you allow God to speak to you. And I pray, and I beg, and I beg, and I beg. That you take a step towards Jesus today. All right. So thank God for this message, as challenging and confronting as it might be, you know, we need to hear it. Because we said last week, you know, Jesus, the whole point of these last challenges that Jesus is making at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is he really doesn't want anyone to be deceived. He doesn't want you to be deceived. He doesn't want you to deceive yourself. He doesn't want you to be deceived by others. And especially when we talk about this, you know, especially when we talk about salvation, you know, there are eternal destinies that are on the line behind these deceptions. And so he really just doesn't want you to be deceived. He wants to make sure that you clearly understand what it means to be saved and what it looks like to be saved. So I'm just going to jump to the quick. I'm going to cut to the chase. Here is what it means to be saved. Being saved means that you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship is characterized by obedience. Okay, wait, hold up, Eddie. I thought salvation was by faith alone in Jesus Christ. It is. What Jesus is saying here is that your faith in Christ alone leads to a true relationship that you have with Jesus, which is characterized by obedience. Okay, do you guys get that? True faith in Christ, which leads to a, re a genuine relationship with Jesus, which looks like 
a life of obedience to look like Christ. That's what salvation is, okay? We'll talk about more of that in our passage today. But the topic that Jesus brings up here is very, very clear. Those, there are those people that will get into heaven, and there are those people that will not. And in these verses, what Jesus talks about is two great misbeliefs that people have. The things that they trust in, that since this is happening in my life on earth, obviously it's going to get me into heaven. But Jesus is saying in this passage, they don't. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about those two misbeliefs, and then what I'll do is I'll end with what actually does get you into heaven, okay, with what actually gives you eternal life. So here's the first misbelief. It's found in verse 21. It says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now here, what Jesus is saying is that just because you call him the right things, and just because you agree with the right things and you align yourself up with the right things doesn't mean that you're getting in, okay? That's what it's saying here. You know, the, the phrase, Lord, Lord, is a very orthodox confession. You know, it's really amazing, right? People who shouted these words actually believe that Jesus is Lord. That's what it's saying. You know, the word Lord in Hebrew is actually the, the, the name of God, Yahweh. So that's a good thing. In Greek, it means Ruler. So when these people are saying, Lord, Lord, what they're saying is that Jesus is the Lord, the God, the ruler of their lives. And so they're not just calling Christ by the right things. They're actually calling Christ by the perfect titles, you know? So what's wrong with that? And the answer is nothing. If you have a genuine relationship with Jesus. But what Christ is pointing out here is that there are people in the church today who know how to say all the right things. There are people in the church today that have gone to church so long that they even know all the right things, you know? They know that Jesus is Lord. They know that Jesus is God. They know that Jesus died for their sins. They know that he's the only way to heaven. They know that he's coming back one day to judge the world. Yet, they've never come to the point in their lives where they personally trusted Christ to be their Savior. Right? And that's what he's talking about here. And because of that, they aren't saved. That's pretty scary, isn't it? But you guys, especially if you've been to church long enough, you know that it's so easy to go through church, believing in the right things, saying the right things, looking good, looking right on the outside. But maybe deep inside, you don't really know if you know Jesus. And it's so easy to go year after year. You might even be a teacher. You can go year after year doing stuff like that. As long as you say the right things, you know, associate with the right groups not do the wrong things, you can get by. There are people even in our seminaries that are like this. Isn't that incredible? In my third year of seminary, I had a friend. You know, he wasn't that close, but he was a friend of mine. And he was kind of sharing with us his story, how he took a, uh, uh, his, his high school group to Mexico for missions. And on that missions trip, there was a night revival. And, and the, as, the guy, as the guy was preaching, as the preacher was preaching, some other preacher all of a sudden, he said, I gave my life to Jesus that night. And we're like, what? Dude, you're a third-year seminarian. You're like leading all these high school kids. You brought them to this missions trip, but you gave your life to Jesus? What happened? And he's just like, when the preacher was preaching, I knew that I needed to surrender my life to Jesus. And I was like, we're like, wow. Isn't that incredible? You can like know everything. You can even be a seminarian. But if you've never personally given your life to Jesus, you may not be saved. You guys, did you ever hear a guy named Martin Luther? Martin Luther? He, like, started the whole Reformation movement. He has a very, very similar testimony. You know, Martin Luther, one time, he was just a secular guy, you know, working a secular job, but all of a sudden, God moved, moved within his heart, 
And he said, man, I need to discover this God, this Jesus. And so what he does is he gives up his secular job and joins the monastery. He becomes a monk. And, you know, he wasn't just an average monk. He was a great monk, you know. And so, you know, he dedicated himself so fully that not only did they, you know, did he graduate, but they ordained him to be, you know, a priest or a monk. And so he studied scripture all the time. He got his doctorate in theology. He even began to teach you know, he lectured on Psalms, Romans, Galatians, all these other books. And if you were to ask him at that time while he was lecturing, hey, do you believe in Jesus? He would have said, of course I do. He, if you asked him, hey, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? He would have been like, of course. If you asked him, hey, do you believe that Jesus is going to come back to judge the world? He would have been like, man, I lose sleep. Just thinking about that, the final judgment. All the right answers. But at that time in his life, he said, that he never trusted Jesus, even after, while he was teaching the Bible. Isn't that amazing that that can actually happen? You see, going to church, you can go to church, you can even go to seminary, and you can learn and you can agree to all the right doctrines and all the right teachings about God and Jesus Christ, yet not be saved. It's possible. It's absolutely possible. Jesus is saying that salvation is not based upon what you, do, you, what you agree to be intellectually true, even if what you agree to be intellectually true is actually theologically correct. It doesn't matter how correct it is. You agreeing to something correct doesn't save you. Okay? You agreeing to the right facts of salvation doesn't save you. Salvation is not about agreeing to a set of eternal truths. Okay? That's the first misbelief. The second misbelief is found in the next verse, verse 22. It says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? You know, prophecy is a great spiritual gift, isn't it? Right, casting out demons. Can anyone cast out demons? It's a great spiritual gift, man. If I had it, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> I don't have it. You know, and, and to be able to be used by God to do mighty works, signs and wonders and miracles for the kingdom, that'd be amazing. If you knew someone that could do all those things, or even one of those things, wouldn't you be convinced that this person might be like a hardcore Christian? I might be. Why? Because God's using this person powerfully. There's like supernatural power like coursing through this guy's veins. And most likely, if that's true, God is probably using this person to bring many to Christ and to show God to people. Am I right? I would be convinced that this guy might actually really be a Christian. But what does Jesus say in verse 23? He says, I'm going to declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And this is a huge thing that Jesus is saying here, the workers of lawlessness. What that means is he's, Jesus is actually calling these guys servants of the devil. That's what workers of lawlessness means. Isn't that harsh? I mean, it's one thing to say you're not saved. You could have just told them that you're not saved. But no, you went the extra step and you, you call them servants of Satan. That's harsh. But more importantly, my question is, how can this be? I mean, how can someone so powerfully anointed not be saved? How can someone who God used so powerfully, supernaturally, not be saved? But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. And the answer really is the most logical one. Just because God uses you to do great things for the kingdom, just because you're anointed with spiritual gifts, doesn't mean that you're saved. That's the most logical argument, isn't it? Isn't that what Jesus is saying here? Salvation has nothing to do 
with what you've ever done for Jesus. Salvation has nothing to do with what God has done through you. These are not things that we can put our confidence in in order for us to be saved. Do you guys get that? It's huge. Did you know that there are many people in the Bible that were powerful used to do miraculous things but were never saved? Do you guys know that? Who's the, one, who's the guy that comes to my mind first? It's a guy named Judas, one of the 12 disciples. All right, let's read what he did in Luke 9, 1 to 2, and verse 6. It says, when Jesus, had, when Jesus had called the 12 together, Jesus gave them, the disciples, power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. This passage says that Jesus anointed all 12 of his apostles, his disciples, with the power to cast out demons. You know, who knows? Maybe Judas even raised someone from the dead. But it's obvious that Judas was anointed with the supernatural power of God to heal people and to cast out demons. But Jesus says himself later on that Judas was not saved. Right? Huge. Just because you can do some amazing stuff doesn't mean that you're saved. Because at the end of the day, being anointed to do God's work has nothing to do with the worthiness of the person being anointed. Being anointed to do God's work simply indicates that God really wanted, maybe God's willingness to give glory to himself, and he's willing to use anything to do so. You know, in the Old Testament, did you guys know there was a guy named Balaam? He was like a wicked prophet. And, you know, he would say all these wicked things. But God used his donkey to prophesy. Isn't that crazy? God used a donkey to prophesy, to speak English words, or not made, I mean Hebrew words, whatever, you know, to speak words, like human words. God used a donkey. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ rides into Jerusalem, you know, the triumphal entry, that story. And all the, all the Pharisees are like, Jesus, you got to shut up your disciples. They're praising you too much. And Jesus, what did Jesus say? He says, if I stop them, you want to know something? I'm going to make the stones praise me. Rocks. Being anointed to do God's work has nothing to do with the worthiness of the person being used. But it has to do with the willingness of God to, wanting, to want to give himself glory. He's willing to use donkeys, rocks, whatever it takes. He's even willing to use non-Christians. You know, this is what we're talking about here. Just because people are being used in mighty and supernatural way doesn't prove that they're saved. The only thing that it proves is that God really wanted to do something amazing for his people and decided to use that person to do so. Can I tell you something very disturbing as well? The Bible says that Satan uses people to perform miraculous signs and wonders. Okay, Matthew 24, 24, it says, For false messiahs, False prophets will appear and perform what? Great signs and wonders. Why? To deceive, if possible, even the elect. What's that saying? It's saying that Satan will send false prophets to do mighty signs and wonders so that we, the elect, can be deceived. Right? That's the whole point. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says, The coming of the lawless one, the evil one, will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through what? Signs and wonders that serve the what? Serve the lie. You know? I share all these verses simply to emphasize the fact that just because supernatural wonders are being accomplished through you doesn't mean that you're saved. 
Okay? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. God, you know, Jesus didn't, you know, we cast out demons. Didn't you use us powerfully to do your work? Didn't we do all these things for your name? And Jesus said what? No. Never knew you. Doesn't mean that you were saved. Do you guys get that? That's the second misbelief, you know. What did Jesus say? So not only can we not have confidence in our salvation just because we're being used by God, but um, if we combine this with the message from last week, just because your spiritual leader can perform many signs and wonders and miracles doesn't necessarily mean that he is saved, right? He can also be a worker of lawlessness, just like Jesus Christ said. But what we did say last week was what? How do you know if a true believer, if, a, if someone is a true believer, what did we talk about last week? You're going to see what? You can tell by their fruit. And what is godly fruit? It is the character of Christ, right? It is Christ-likeness. Someone who just wants to conform themselves to Christ's attitudes, to Christ's beliefs, you know, to Christ's deeds, to Christ's character in every single way. It's someone who constantly bends their whole life to say, God, I want to be like you, and I want to conform myself to everything that the Sermon of the Mount says that I should be and that you created me to be. This is what I want to do, and this is who I want to be. This is Christ like fruit. This is the person that Jesus Christ is talking about in verse 21, the person that does the will of the Father. Okay, obedience. This person's faith in Christ leads him to a true relationship with Jesus that is characterized by obedience. Do you guys get that? True faith in Christ leads to a genuine relationship, which leads to a life of obedience, which bears godly fruit. This is salvation. Do you guys understand that? Do you guys get that? I'm going to say that over and over again today. But that's exactly what it is. Believe it or not, that's what Jesus is inferring in verse 23 when he shares the fate of those that don't have true faith in him. Verse 23 says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here he says what? I never knew you. That sounds like really cold and harsh and unappreciative, right? Even Because these guys did so many things in the name of Christ. But what we need to do is we need to understand what this word new means, okay? K-N-E-W. This word new means this. This is the definition. It says, to have the most intimate relationship with, to have the most intimate knowledge of. This is actually the same word that is found in the Old Testament when Adam and Eve knew each other, when Joseph and Mary knew each other in the New Testament, right? It's because sex is the most intimate way people can know each other in a marriage. So Jesus is not talking about sex, but the word new means the most intimate knowledge of, you know, the most intimate relationship with. And so what Jesus is saying here practically when he says, I never knew you, is this is what he's saying, in my words. He's saying, because we never shared an intimate relationship with each other. Because me and you, we never knew each other inside and out. You know, because we never exchanged hearts. We never exchanged minds. We never exchanged souls on a day-to-day -day basis. When did you come to me and, 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 and depend upon me to live out my righteousness in your life? I would have given it to you, but you never did. We never exchanged that. We never knew each other in that way. And so because I never knew you, you never knew me as well. Do you guys get this? Those who operate apart from a genuine relationship with Christ is one who is not doing the Father's will. Christ wants a relationship with us. The relationship is everything. True faith in Christ leads to people looking straight at Jesus like, oh my God, I can't, I can't believe that you died for me so I can have a relationship with you. So I can now like, walk with you forever. 
This is what he died for. And if you understand that, you can, go to whole ch- you can go to church your whole life. You can serve in children's ministries. You could be a CG leader. You can go on short-term missions. You can even become a pastor. But if you are not in a true relationship with Jesus Christ characterized by obedience, then what are you really doing in church? What you're really doing is you're living out your own self-religiousness. Self-righteousness. That's harsh. But today's a day for harsh realities, once again. Right? And the thing is, you can do all of those things in the name of Jesus. But if you think that you're going to get into heaven because you, do, you did all that in the name of Jesus, you know what I call that? You know what Jesus calls it? Self-delusion. Harsh. But today is the day to hear it, you know? The truly scary part is that Jesus says there are many in the church that are believing the wrong things to get in. But there's only one thing to believe in to get in. And I hope we get it right today. Today is a day to be honest with ourselves. And I'm going to give you all a chance to do that at the end of our sermon today. And I really pray that you are honest with yourself. So the question is, what gets you in? And the answer is faith in Jesus Christ alone. This is what gets you into heaven. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. But what does true faith in Jesus Christ alone look like? Faith in Jesus Christ alone looks like a true relationship with Jesus Christ characterized by obedience. And here's the point, and here's the gospel. One thing you have to realize is ever since the creation of the world, all God ever wanted was a relationship with you. Right? Did you ever hear that? Christianity is about a relationship. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Did you ever hear that? It's so true, though. Ever since the creation of the world, all God ever wanted was a relationship with you. Right? That's all he ever wanted. God created us, each one of us, to find our deepest joy and our deepest satisfaction in relating and walking with him alone. God created us for him. But that relationship was broken by sin. Right? And that's exactly what happened. But the thing is, even though sin broke our fellowship with God, God's desire for us never changed. And that's what caused him to send his son Jesus to die upon the cross for us so that we could be forgiven of the sin that broke our relationship with him, be reconciled back to God so that what? We could have that relationship with him once again so that we could walk with him, talk with him, know him, share our hearts and our thoughts with him and live a life that gives him glory forever through obedience. This is all that God ever wanted ever since the creation of the world. That's why God's goal is not to hand out free tickets to heaven. That's not the goal. That's not what eternal life is about. And if you think it is, it's not true. That's not God's business. Let me tell you what he says. Eternal life is about knowing God and having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus even says so in John 17 Verses 1 to 4. This is Jesus praying right before he goes to the cross. This is him praying to God. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. See, Christ's desire is just to glorify the Father. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Verse 3, here we go. Now this is eternal life. That what? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus Christ says here that eternal life is knowing the Father through the Son. 
knowing God and relating with him, walking with him through Jesus Christ the Son. To know God and be in relationship with him, this is eternal life. We were created to know him. Our deepest joys and our deepest satisfactions were always designed to be found within him alone, in worshiping him alone. And this is what he desires the most. And that's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. This is eternal life and that's what gets you in. That's why to think that you're going to heaven because simply because you have all this right knowledge of God or simply because you agree with this particular theological slant is absolutely silly. To think that you're going to heaven simply because you've been endowed with certain spiritual gifts or because God used to use you to do some amazing things for his glory, to think that you're going to heaven for that, that's absolutely self-delusional. He didn't save us for that. That's not why he saved us. That's not even how you get saved. He saved us to trust in him with every single part of our being so that we could walk with him, learn from him, talk to him, conform ourselves to him, and learn how to give him glory and to find our deepest joys and satisfaction by learning how to walk the narrow path for his glory. That's it. Do you guys get that? That is what Jesus is talking about in our passage today. What I want to do as I end this sermon is I want to bring this down to a church level. And I'll give you one last challenge and then I'll close. You know, I'll be honest. As a pastor, you know, I've seen many things at church. I've been a part of many things at church. And I've seen pastors, including myself, sometimes we put the cart before the horse. Do you know what I mean? And what I mean specifically by that is a lot of times we try to force you guys to like live out and obey good Christian rules before you even have a genuine relationship with Christ. We've done that, you know. We've pushed you to look Christian rather than encouraging you to actually be a Christian. And we've done that. As a result, we sent mixed messages as to what faith in Christ truly is, what salvation truly is, what the church is all about, and ultimately who God is and what he ultimately wants from us. And because we made those mistakes, I apologize. I apologize and I am sorry on behalf of my colleagues and myself if we've confused you or if we've misled you in any way, right? I don't, I don't really believe that any pastor purposely misleads his people because I think we all just sincerely want what's best for you. And we are also growing in our understanding of faith and our understanding of ministry. So please forgive us if we've confused you or misled you about faith, Christ, or God in any way. But with that said, there are certain things that I've observed about the church that I think has, that we can easily fall into that misleads us to thinking that we might be saved because of these things as well. And I just want to share these four things with you, and then I'll close. Maybe you fit into one of these things. Four ways that we might have deceived ourselves or that we might have been deceived. Uh, the first way is this. You know, I think there are some people in the church that believe that the gospel they believe in is like the most theologically correct gospel. And because of that, they have this like weird confidence that they're going to go to heaven and other people aren't. And maybe that's true. Maybe that isn't. I don't know. But the one thing I will say, according to our passage today, is that if that gospel that you believe is so theologically correct doesn't lead you into a deeper relationship with Christ that's characterized in obedience, then who cares? What's the point? You know? 
Do you know in the Bible who is actually the most theologically correct people? Demons. Isn't that shocking? Demons know who God exactly is. They know who Christ exactly is. But they aren't saved, aren't they? Right? James 2.19 says, You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Jesus says that belief in, the, in correct knowledge, no matter how you know, theologically correct that is, doesn't save you. That's what he says in our passage today. And if your correct knowledge of the gospel does not lead you to put your faith in Christ, live a life of obedience that bears fruit, then who cares if you're correct or not? Jesus is probably saying to you, you're probably, you might go to hell. Okay, that's what he's saying. Because you can't be saved by correct knowledge, no matter how correct that knowledge is. James Boyce, a famous theologian, even says, believing in correct doctrine without obedience leads to nominal Christianity, not faith. Right? We can easily deceive ourselves just because we believe in the right things. But if it doesn't lead to a life of intimate relationship with Christ that's characterized by obedience and bearing fruit for his glory, what's the point? It's a destructive path that we're on, so don't be that person. If you are that person, make sure that your faith drives you into Christ's arms every single day so that you can live to give him glory through obedience. Number two, there are some people in the church who've had this great experience many years ago when they were younger. You know, maybe you were in high school or uni or something like that. You had this great experience with God. God spoke to you. God just did amazing things, and it's awesome. It's beautiful. But instead of continuing to seek after God now and being close to him now, we simply carry on our lives thinking that what we experienced many years ago is enough for us today, you know? And practically what happens is we just kind of coast along in church every day, getting less passionate and farther away from God. You know, people like this might still go to church. They might even be leaders in the church but they probably couldn't tell you a recent testimony or they probably couldn't tell you exactly what God is speaking to them and how God is challenging them to grow to become like Jesus. What happened many years back was awesome, but it is not a good indicator of the health of your current relationship with Jesus today. Okay, would we agree on that? I hope so. You know, practically, we may have backslid heaps. And you might actually be far from God today. And you got to know that going to church, volunteering and serving at church doesn't make up for it. It doesn't, okay? Um, and if I'm right, I think many in the church uh, are afraid to admit this to themselves. You know? We look back like, hey, man, something really great happened today. Today, I'm not so sure where I am before God, but it's okay. I'm just going to serve. You know, I'll just kind of go with the flow. And I'm sure something will happen. This is the thing that will happen today, okay? Please, if this is you, can I just encourage you to turn back to God today? Put your faith in Christ. Live for God today. Can I share with you an encouraging verse that comes from James? James 4.8 says this. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Come near to God. Choose to come near to God today and he will Come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify you hearts, you double-minded. Right? What's the saying? If you choose to put your faith once again, if you choose to run after God once again, say, God, I want that relationship. I want to relate with you the way you want me to relate with you. I want to live my life so that I can find my full satisfaction in you, so that I can live out my life for your glory and your pleasure through obedience. What does this verse say? God will come near to you. That's a promise. God will be near to you. If that's what you want today, will you repent of your sinfulness? Will you repent for choosing other things beside God these past 10 years? Will you repent of your hypocrisy 
so that you can now just be fully God's. Instead of just trying to show the good stuff on the outside, be the good stuff on the inside. You know what I'm saying? Be right with God and walk with God once again. Third way. Third way we deceive ourselves is we believe that genuine godliness and true spirituality is somehow tied up in the supernatural. You know? Once again, the supernatural is great. I love that God actually does the impossible through his people. I love it. You know? But our passage today says that the supernatural experiences and being used powerfully by God is not an indicator of salvation or spirituality at all. That's what this is saying. Unfortunately, in some circles, seeking the supernatural and the gifts have superseded growing in conformity to God's will. What is this saying? Obedience took a bad seat. Obedience took a back seat to the spectacular. You know, instead of seeking obedience to God's will and conforming ourselves to the character of Christ, we seek all the other things rather than that. The main thing has ceased to be the main thing. Jesus says, genuine godliness is found in a relationship characterized by obedience. Matthew 16, 24 says, Jesus said to his disciples, this is the big thing. Whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's the narrow path that Jesus wants. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus wants you to seek God, live out his righteousness first. True relationship characterized by obedience. The last way we deceive ourselves is very simple. We may have grown up in the church, and we just, we just, we just came to realize that church is good. You know, going to church is a good choice. Uh, it's morally great. It's good for my kids to be a part of church. You know, materialism is bad. Dressing modestly, good. You know, loving your neighbor, absolutely the way to go. Totally agree with that. You know, the church. And so, you know, and not only that, but how about this one? My best friends go to church. My closest friends are at church, so why wouldn't I go to church? And by the way, if I don't go to church, oh man, that causes drama in my house. So let's minimize the drama. I'm going to go to church. And maybe that's how it's been for the past 10, 15 years of your life. All of those things. And all those things, nothing is bad about those things. All those things are really, really good. Don't get me wrong. But all those things are a far second as to what church is really all about. And for you to go to church for like 10, 15, 20 years of your life and miss it all would be such a crime. Church is about Jesus. Is that it's not about pleasing your parents or doing the right thing or good teachings. Or Church is about knowing God, knowing Christ, relating with him, wanting to give him glory, worshiping him. That's what church is all about. And if we ever miss that, we miss everything about church. Don't ever do that. Right? If you are in this category, please stop deceiving yourself. There's a reason why you are here, though. It's because I believe God's working in your life. There's no reason, you know, I, always, I say it all the time, but... No one just rocks up to church. No one just listens to this YouTube. You know, no one listens, just listens to this podcast. God is working in your life and has led you to hear these things so that you could be his, so that you could walk with him, so that you could know him, so that you could live your life to please him with all that you have. That's what you were created for, and that's what he's inviting you into. So please stop, to see, stop deceiving yourselves with all those other reasons. I hope today that you make your faith about Christ alone and that he leads you into a relationship with him that's characterized by a desire to give him glory through obedience. Okay, those are the four ways that we deceive ourselves. I know I've talked a long time today, 
But as I close, I just want to say one thing. And this is, this is the challenge. If you are a part of this ministry, or somehow, somewhere you're listening to this, then you are old enough to be honest with yourself. That's it. You are old enough to be honest with yourself. You are old enough to be honest with God. Do you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ? That's the question. You could say you have faith, but sometimes I don't even know what faith in Christ means. You know what I'm saying? Everyone says they have faith in Christ. But you know whether you have a genuine relationship with Christ or not. And I'm asking you today just to be honest about that. And if you have it, great. Dig deeper. But if you don't have it, can I invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ today? To start walking with Christ today and start living in the life that you were always designed and created for. And that was to find your deepest joy and satisfaction in him alone. Will you do that? My buddy who uh, led this mission team to Mexico, I remember we were all like, dude, weren't you embarrassed? Because like, you're like their pastor. You're like your high school kid's pastor, but you gave your life to Jesus on a mission trip in front of your kids. And what he said was, who cares? All I knew is, He said, who cares? All I knew is when the preacher preached, I knew I was a sinner. And I knew that the only thing I needed for the rest of my life was Christ. And I knew that my whole life was about living for Jesus. And so, you know, who cares about all the other stuff? I wanted to give my life to Jesus and to live for him for every day from that point on. Maybe the more realistic question is, have you ever come to the point in your life where you kind of experience something like my friend, that you realize, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner. And I need the forgiveness that only Christ can give me. The, only, the forgiveness that only Christ accomplished for me upon the cross. If you have never felt that in your heart and in your life and in your soul, and found the answer in Christ alone, then I'm going to say it's probably a good bet that you're not saved. Because that's the only way to go through that narrow gate. So, Jesus wants you to know today whether you're saved or not, black and white. And the way you know is if your faith in Christ continually leads you closer and closer to Him so that you can live this life of obedience where you find your ultimate joy and satisfaction and where he gets glorified through your life the most. So today is a day to be honest with yourself. Do you truly have a relationship with him? Let's be honest with where we are today, and let's take a right step towards Christ today. Let's pray. There's no challenge. I just want you to be honest. Will you just talk to God wherever you are? And if you need to repent and surrender, do that today. I invite you to do that. If you're not totally sure, ask God to reveal himself to you. He wants to. If you're a Christian and you're walking closely with Jesus, will you pray for our church? 
Let's pray for our church together. Let's really pray for God to speak to people, win people to him. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit to just awaken hearts so that our church might be for Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the things that you're doing here. Continually reveal yourself and speak to us that we might be a church that's filled with people that just love you, that want to make our lives about you, that want to make this church about you, that want to make everything about you. Teach us how to do that, God. If there was some garbage Christianity that we might have learned in the past, sorry for that, God. But Lord, help us to forget about all those things and to focus upon what really counts. May your truth always rise to the top, God. And Lord, may it quicken our hearts, God, that we might want you more than anything else. And Father, may you bring so many here to faith and help them to discover truly how awesome and wonderful and beautiful and joyful it is to walk with you. How amazing it is, God, to no longer live for ourselves, but God, to live to give you glory. We thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. We thank you, God, that you loved us enough to pursue us so that we might have this relationship with you. God, I pray, fill this church with people who walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.